Sintero Speaks. Thank you for tuning in to the first segment of our special four-part parenting series. I'm your host, Mariah Beidelman, and I'm joined by Sintero School-Based Clinician, Kelly Dayton. Welcome to the podcast, Kelly. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks for having me on and talking to you today. Please tell us a little about your role at Sintero. I work inside of schools and work with students who might need a little extra help and support with some mental health concerns or things they might be going through um, as just a preventative measure. And then I can kind of make referrals out to work in outpatient settings if need be. But I kind of work more on skills and skill building with students. So right now, our world is going through a lot of changes, and that's definitely affecting our children as well. What are some signs that parents should look for that would indicate that their child may be experiencing mental health issues? Um, So mental health concerns can be tricky to pinpoint as in some behaviors that I'm going to talk about. Um, They could be linked with like an event that happened or something that happened at school, and they're just feeling a little down about it, Um, but it might not automatically call for an intervention. So it's really important that you're in tune with your child and kind of pick on what's typical for them and what is not. Um, So any symptoms that I kind of discussed below are really things that you would want to look out for as happening for long periods of time without any break between them. So like maybe they exhibit some symptoms for three days, but then they're happy for a month. That could signify more typical behavior of a healthy functioning child. Um, So we're really looking at kind of length and severity. So some of the symptoms you want to look out for in your child would be sort of changes in any behavior. So maybe they were really active before and now they're not active. Or they were typically really good at school and functioning well at school, but now they're not functioning well at school. So any changes in behavior that are kind of drastic and not typical for them. Um, Frequent complaints of physical symptoms such as headaches and stomach aches or physical body pains. Um, sleep and or appetite problems like sleeping too much or too little or eating too much or too little could also signify um, loss of interest in things they used to enjoy or loss of interest in social interactions with peers and family, um, such as withdrawing from peers and family or excessive emotional disturbances, maybe crying for long periods of time, um, a lot of panic attacks happening or even lashing out behavior, so kind of more physical, aggressive behavior can signify mental health signs as well. Do those signs differ based on gender or age? Um, yes. So there are a bunch of factors that kind of play into what signs might look like for different genders and age. Um, and on top of that, there's also some cultural implications to look at as well. Um, So there's a study done by the National Institute for Clinical Excellence in 2003, and they found that depression is more common in females. So about one in four females will be treated for depression versus one in 10 males. So looking for kind of more depressive symptoms in females, they might arise like sadness um, and emotional disturbances might arise more in females than males. And they also found that females also exhibit more anxiety and phobias. So about 60% of women exhibit those symptoms, like the panic attacks and the excessive worry versus males. But the study done for the Office of National Statistics on Psychiatric Morbidity reported in 2001, they found that men are more likely to abuse alcohol and drugs and or be dependent on them. So it's important, especially with adolescents, to kind of keep your eyes out for males in that instance that they might be more likely to abuse alcohol and drugs. But in terms of, like, cultural implications, 
there was research published by the Commonwealth Fund that found that minorities in the United States are less likely to get mental health treatment or wait until symptoms are very severe. So the symptoms might look the same, but they might be treated differently based on resources. Minorities don't have as much access to resources as white communities or culturistic uh, and education surrounding mental health. So there's a less of kind of an understanding and resources available, even though the symptoms may present themselves similarly. Mm -hmm. So it's important to kind of keep your awareness out there that depending on culture, it might vary differently. And same with if you have a child that's identifying as LGBTQ, um, the Human Rights Campaign also conducted a survey in 2016 to 2017 where 28% of LGBTQ youth, including 40% of transgender youth, said that they felt depressed most or all of the time during the previous 30 days, compared to only 12% of non-LGBTQ youth. So kind of having an understanding, if you do have a child that identifies in this way, that they will be more likely to have symptoms of depression. There are also signs varying on age. Regardless of age, you do need to look for drastic changes in behavior. But with younger kids, you might have more regressive behavior. So maybe bedwetting will come back, tantrums or cleanliness will come back, and there might be excessive crime, or um, they might purposely be kind of seeking negative attention. So those might be signs in a younger child that something might be off. And with adolescents, when they're a little bit older, same with lack of social interest might be happening, apathy towards things they were interested in, lower self-esteem increased symptoms of anxiety and depression, engaging in very risky behaviors. Adolescents typically do some risky behavior engagement, mm -hmm. but if it's kind of severe, more like the excessive drinking and drug use or promiscuous sexual behavior, eating in cars, that could be an indication. And as well as kind of having suicidal thoughts or actions of self-harm, including cutting, biting, burning, you know, hair pulling, those are all kind of indications with adolescents that there might be an underlying problem. How do parents decipher between just what seems like typical moodiness of adolescence as opposed to something that should really be of concern? Basically, just look for, you know, adolescents do typically have kind of that moodiness or that woe is me sort of persona anyway. So they do kind of go through that just because they're experiencing or learning to experience the adult world a little bit more. But really, it just depends on the severity of the symptoms they may be displaying, and or how long it goes on. So, you know, if you notice your adolescent is kind of more moody, accompanied by the low self-esteem, the apathy, the fatigue, that's when you're, you need to kind of put your feelers out and say, I think something more might be going on here. But it, it, it would be more like length. So two weeks to a month, accompanied by other symptoms, they might be struggling. And what can parents do to connect with a child who has withdrawn? Feeling like your child kind of emotionally withdrawing from you can be a really scary thing for parents. As a parent, we really want our children to feel safe and secure with us. So if they're avoiding you or not talking about anything, it can be worrisome. And even though teenagers are experiencing a little more independence, they really do need a lot of our guidance as parents because of them kind of budding into adults and starting to engage in more adult behaviors. So there is some normalcy with teenagers exhibiting more independence from their parents, but extreme cases of withdrawal are grounds for some changes in communication tactics. And this comes down to some kind of communication skills and learning how to validate your child's experience. So be direct with how you're feeling about the withdrawal, but offer them a listening and non-judgmental ear, turning your relationship into more like a collaboration 
And even in the past, if you may have been critical, acknowledging this and letting them know that you're there for them now and are trying to work on it will help rebuild the trust between you. So I do have some phrases you can use that are kind of like things you can say to re-engage your child. So some things you could say is like, it seems like something is troubling you, and I want you to know I'm willing to talk about the hard things with you, offering that listening ear. If your child is still pushing back, just kind of letting them have their space, but let them know that I am here for you when you're ready to talk. Or even if you have been critical in the past, saying things like, perhaps in the past I've been a little critical and acknowledging it, but I'm working on getting better and I'm going to fight, you know, for our relationship and working through it. Or saying things simply like, I'm listening. I understand how you must be feeling. Oh, that sounds really, you know, scary or hard or sad or frustrating. Just so that you can kind of validate their experience and let them know that you understand what they're going through. It might take a while for this to work because you are kind of starting a new pattern of communication. And it is scary to be vulnerable again after a withdrawal. But as parents in this situation, being really patient, understanding, and validate their experience can kind of help pull them back in. Do you have any advice? Say a parent does use some of the phrases you offered, um, mm-hmm. but they're not really feeling like they're making any progress with their child. How soon can they go back to their child and try to have the same conversation without seeming pushy? I would definitely give them some space. I wouldn't say a week. Maybe okay. give them some space for the day. Still be there for them, you know, whatever they need. Have dinner with them. Just let them know that you're available. But definitely don't go a week. Give them a day or two and Try not to be pushy, but just let them know you're available. Because kind of giving them that power and that putting the ball back on their court will kind of entice them to feel more comfortable with you and and learn that you're kind of accepting of who they are. How can parents help their children recognize their emotions, and how does that benefit their mental health? So parents can really start teaching their child about recognizing their emotions at a very young age, like right out of the gate by modeling the behavior they kind of want their kids to exhibit and speaking about their own emotions. But even if you didn't start to do this when your child was really, really young and now they're kind of a moody adolescent now who only speaks to you and like grunts and stuff, don't worry about that because you can still kind of start to model this behavior and try to help your teenager learn how to communicate too. So what I mean about modeling is that like you're doing what you want your child to do in a way. So if you want your child to talk about their feelings, you should also be talking about your own feelings. One of my favorite templates for communicating feelings is using I feel statements. And they're super simple, but sometimes simplicity works best. So I will encourage you to give it a try. And I can kind of run through some examples now so you can kind of hear how they flow. Yes, please do. Sure. So the basic template is I feel and then a blank the emotion when whatever the action was because whatever they did and saying why you felt that way. And then you say please. And after you say please, that's kind of when you would collaborate with your child to figure out what works for both of you. So here are some examples of doing with like a younger child and also with a teenager. So for a young child, say maybe they hit you and, you know, no one wants to get hit. And, of course, you may feel really angry about that. Um, so taking a deep breath and then kind of explaining how you feel about it. So you would say, I feel sad or angry or sad and angry when you hit me because it really hurts. Please do not hit me. And then sort of with your child say, what can we do instead of hit people? You know, we can go to your room. Maybe you could punch your pillow or squeeze your stuffed animal really tight. So kind of giving them another option to expel that anger instead of uh, you physically. And for a teenager, 
might say like, hey, I feel anxious when you come home past curfew because I don't know if you're in trouble or not or if you don't give me a call. Please, could you just call me and let me know if you'll be late and then collaborate with your teenager. Kind of what prevents you from calling me? What works for you? Because we both need to kind of work through this to make it work for each other in this relationship. So that's one way to start kind of communicating your emotions with teenagers and children. Another way is when they're little kids or even teenagers, not the reading books so much with teens, but with little kids reading books about emotions and feelings to your own kids when they're younger, um, seeing songs and discussing emotions with them, or talking about naming emotions and feelings with your kids about characters in TV shows, like what they're experiencing, like, whoa, how do you think they feel right now? Or, whoa, look at that person. They look really angry. So you could do that with an adolescent, too, in a way, if they're into watching TV shows with you if you're trying to kind of build their emotional repertoire. Um, But it's also really important to learn about this because children that kind of understand their emotions better will be able to have more control over themselves and kind of understand themselves better. So that way if they're feeling a certain way, they can express it and seek help instead of kind of having these extreme emotional responses that can be really scary for them and not really know what to do with those. It can also make them feel a little happier and feel validated when they express themselves and learn how to express themselves in a way that gets them the responses and helps them get what they need. So it's really empowering for them to talk about what they're going through and work through it. And they'll be able to kind of gain the ability to check themselves, notice what they're going through, and then kind of getting what they need in a healthy way instead of kind of not understanding what they might be feeling and lashing out in an unhealthy way. So it's a way to kind of keep themselves safe but also get themselves what they need. Thank you so much. I think all those tips are very, very helpful. Lastly, I would just like to know, when should a parent seek professional help if they've tried all these tips and nothing seems to be working or should they do it earlier during the process? What do you recommend? So I always think it's good to not wait until things are really extreme and kind of like out of control. So when you start noticing things in your child and maybe you've tried these tips and tricks for like a month or two and they're still not working, you know, that might be the time to kind of seek professional help. So if after kind of like a month or two of you trying to kind of help them through or professional help and nothing's working, it would be it would be time to kind of engage But it also depends on the child. So if you notice that you've been kind of talking with them for a month, but things are kind of progressing quickly, as in their symptoms are getting a little more severe, maybe their behavior is becoming more severe or they're having more hikes, not eating as much, loss of interest, it really just depends on the child. So if you notice that your kid is kind of experiencing a downturn in their emotional health quickly, then you would want to seek professional help um, at a quicker level. But I always say go faster than later because if, you know, you go later and it kind of has spiraled out of control, it's a little bit more difficult to kind of climb from that and work through some of the things that might be hurting them. Thank you for joining us today. To learn more about Sentero's Youth and Family Services, visit Sentero.org.